It has been said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Here, we connect anonymously. This is Addicts in the Dark with Quick Nick. Having faced addiction, therapy played a vital role in my recovery. And our sponsor, BetterHelp, is the world's largest online therapy service, offering convenient communication via text, chat, phone, or video call. So if you or someone you know faces mental health challenges, consider BetterHelp. Right now, our listeners receive a special 10% off their first month of therapy at betterhelp.com slash quicknick. That's betterhelp.com slash quicknick. It's caller 41 and their story about addiction. Addicts in the dark. Hello. Hi. You sound ready to go. Any questions? Uh, no. All right. No names, no exact locations as a reminder. Sounds good. Let's talk about your addiction. Well, I'm, I'm 22. I grew up in a pretty, I grew up in a rough household. Uh, my parents dealt with alcohol addiction and uh, it really affected like the family dynamic. It was like a big party culture house. Drink hard, party hard. Don't work. <laughs> so uh, there was a struggle with money and stuff in the house as well. Uh, when I was 12, I started drinking with my parents. So it's pretty crazy. A lot of my friends uh, had to hide like their drinking and their drugging while I had my first drink with my dad. I had my first joint with my dad. Um and I thought it was cool. I thought it was super fun. And I didn't realize that it could develop a problem. I didn't think my parents had a problem at the time either. Um, fast forwarding, by the time I was in high school, I was abusing drugs and I was taking a lot of uh, prescribed medications during school times to get through the day and drinking at night. When I lived on my own for the first time, I really fell into a hole. Um, I wasn't eating. I lost a lot of weight. I was just drinking and smoking. And I'm uh, I'm currently on a sobriety and recovery journey. I'm one year sober as of September. So flip it over. The normalizing, or I, I should say congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> the normalization of alcohol in society has reached a pervasive level but in your household the normalization of drinking it was part of the dynamic oh yeah like it wasn't even just normalized it was celebrated when I started to go sober like I was away from the household but when I'd visit they'd offer me drinks and I'd say oh no I'm okay and my dad would say you're such a pussy like you're so fucking boring what are you (laughs) you're not gonna have a drink with me like why are you even here sort of thing there was one time where my dad was it was his birthday and he came up to me and he was pissed tanked. He, he couldn't get a word out. He couldn't stand straight. And he said, I had a dream that you took me to your, your addictions group. And, you know, I, I admitted I was an alcoholic and then we, you know, you helped me through it. And the next like week I called him and I was like, Hey, I'm in town. Do you want to like join me in a, 
in like a addictions anonymous group just to see what it's like. And he said, no, he said, I don't know what you're talking about. He was like, why would I want to go to one of those? And I was like, oh, okay. It was easier for him to see that he had a problem while he was messed up or intoxicated because it's just easier to see what type of shit show you are when you're intoxicated. A hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like there's times when he's uh, under the influence of something that he can kind of get through like in his brain and he knows that this is a problem. But when he's sober, he just can't face that problem. I think that's hard for a lot of people. I think that was, that was hard for me too, to just like be sober and look at myself and be like, you got a fucking problem. You need to stop. And what did that problem look like in your case? How did your alcoholism display itself? I needed it to, to do anything really. Uh, same thing with, with um, weed. I know a lot of people think you can't have a problem with weed, but <laughs> I definitely did. Um, I, I worked at a wine store, if you could picture that, and uh, I'd get free wine. I'd come home, I'd down a bottle, I'd finish with tequila, most likely, uh, and a Mickey, like a Mickey of tequila. Um, that's like a small bottle. And that would be just one night, and I'd wake up hungover pretty much still drunk. I'd drive to work drunk. And by the time I got home, I'd be hungover. So I'd chase that hangover with another bottle. So I wouldn't have to face sober me, you know, and nothing fixes a hangover more than another drink. So when you say you couldn't do anything without alcohol, I I feel like it could be quite the opposite. There's just a lot of discomfort in trying to navigate your feelings while sober. Yeah. You know, socializing, working, going to school, that's all easier sober. But as an addict, dealing with your feelings in between those things, that's uncomfortable. Uh, um, I think you're totally right. Like, I could. I definitely could. I just uh, maybe didn't have the strength or even wanted to face it without the alcohol. What was it? What was it that you didn't want to face? Uh, I had a lot of issues with um, like the way I looked at myself and a lot of people see me as a very confident and outgoing person, but uh, I feel like that's a front that, that I'm not very confident. And um, I had some traumatic experiences growing up in my household with my parents. Uh, and I think the drink kind of helped keep those thoughts and memories away. I, I was also, uh, I was medicated a lot as a child. My my parents were the type to kind of bring me to a psychiatrist and say, hey, this kid's got problems. So I was put on uh, antidepressants and mood stabilizers when I was 11. And through those times... Uh, I'm sure that made the drinking even more loopy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially when the cocktails would change of meds. Um, through so many years, I was medicated for 10 years, so... It would change a lot. And I remember when I was 15, I was on a cocktail of trazodone, which is a sleeping pill, um, citrulline, which is an antidepressant, Abilify, which is a mood stabilizer. And I had a refillable prescription of Ativan, which is like Xanax's cousin. And I abused that. I was like 15. I would like take a Ativan and have a beer and I was like, man, life is so good. It's so good. <laughs> My brain chemistry was just way off. So I think this past year, I've really been trying to focus on like who I am and what I want to do and what my hobbies actually are. 
um, I went back to college, which helped and also hindered me. College life is pretty crazy and everyone wants to share a drink with you. Uh, but going back to college and just doing something I really like really helped me. Um, I'm also very thankful. I, I met someone at the beginning of my sobriety journey. Uh, actually, I met them in a hospital after overdosing. And this person has just been by my side this whole journey. And they have they've been like just a rock for me. <laughs> Like felt like the one person who really supported me because I had so many friends that still associated with that party culture. And there was one breaking point, I think, where I was with them and they said, just, you know, I'm not going to be with you if you keep drinking because I saw you last night and I don't want to see you like that again. And I think that was the last time I drank uh, over this year. And what about your confidence now that you're sober? Because alcohol gives a sense of confidence by lowering inhibitions, but that's a, a temporary illusion. Sobriety, I feel like, fosters genuine self-assurance, a resilient, lasting sense of self-assurance. I'm definitely more confident now than I ever was in my life. Um, I feel like I was so afraid of losing that and like losing who I was, and now I realize that the drugs and alcohol were actually keeping me from like who I was. I agree with you. Yeah. I'm much more confident. And what about being in college with the whole party scene, trying to stay sober must be tough, must be tough and annoying listening to people come drink with me. Come on, let's have a shot. <laughs> yeah. I, I've definitely had a lot of trouble in the very like first chunk of months when I first started back. Uh, that was uh, last September. Um, so that was right when I was, sober like I was just starting to go sober and all they want to talk about is the party like I feel like I've, I've made some deeper connections in school but that first six months was so difficult because how do you meet people in college in class and in parties and I still wanted to go I still was that person who wanted to party and dance and drink and have fun but obviously I couldn't so I tried going to the parties I definitely was like yeah I'll, I'll go and you'd get like pressured and almost like people were like almost angry and like so forceful with it. I'd say, oh, no, like I'm not drinking tonight or, oh, I don't actually drink. And it's like, why? Oh, my God. Yeah, why don't you want to get as sloppy as me right now? <laughs> yeah. Maybe you do. You just know you shouldn't. Yes. <laughs> I do want to drink real bad, but I just can't. I can't. I'm sorry. I find that sobriety in the midst of those who are drinking is an empowering declaration of self-respect. But at the same time, in those situations, it makes you feel or at least come across as the outsider, as the outcast. It's so uncomfortable because everyone's slobbering and falling and, you know, people are puking and screaming and just so uncomfortable to be in a room while people are making a fool of themselves. And it's like I'd get flashbacks to what I used to be like. And I definitely had my moments of being sloppy and disgusting and falling over and puking. It's hard to watch sometimes, especially since I've been sober for so long. You see these people and you're like, man, if only they knew <laughs> how good it feels to wake up without a headache, drink fluids. <laughs> and if they only knew how silly they sounded bitching at you for not joining in on the debauchery. 
yeah, I'm sure that they know in the morning after. Um, <laughs> I don't like to find myself in that space of not feeling safe or feeling like I need to take care of other people. It, it, I just don't, I don't want that burden on me. And it makes me want to drink to feel like, uh, I can't take care of you because I can't take care of myself. You can find the meaning in the mess and the magic of every day with Melissa Armstrong Coaching. Go to strongarm.ca for more. You mentioned that meeting someone, finding a partner helped you on your sobriety journey. And, and addicts often lack a sense of belonging. And that's why human connection is so impactful in recovery. Yeah, 100%. I feel like nobody wants to be alone. And when I was in my lowest, I I was completely alone. I mean, I would use other people as a way of almost self-harm, I think. And, you know, with dating apps these days, you know, you could have someone over at your house as quick as ordering a pizza, honestly. And I took that to my advantage. I'm a pretty lady and I just didn't want to be alone. And I knew what they wanted, of course, and I'd oblige, I'd give that to them. Um, but I just wanted to be held, I think. And when they'd leave, I'd have to drink more to <laughs> drown the regret and what I was doing to myself. And that was my lowest. I I had no real connection. I I would let myself be used and abused by people I didn't really even know. And when I would start to realize what I was doing to myself, I'd just have to drink more to forget what I was doing. And I never really even had a, a real relationship until I met this person. I mean, I had, I had boyfriends, I had girlfriends, but it wasn't like this, I think. And I've never felt so like devoted and into it, if that makes sense. Totally. And dating apps are very much a double-edged sword. On one hand, they're a convenient way to meet a variety of people, but when it comes to finding genuine human connection, they in fact make us more disposable to people. Exactly. Like, And that's what I was. I was completely disposable. People didn't really, no one cared what my middle name was. No one, not a single person on that app really wanted to know wow, what's your favorite color? They didn't want to know that. They they wanted something different from me. And I, I knew that. Of course I knew that deep down. And so I'd give it to them. Just like, can you just hold me for 10 minutes? <laughs> yeah, the dating apps are not great. You can also find yourself in really dangerous situations. I know I did. I mean, with my ambitions down and my, you know, I had no um, conscious thought as I was so drunk or so high or something around those times. I find myself in extremely dangerous situations uh, and I would think it was cool or funny, like, which is terrible. I just thought, ah, well, this is, this will be a fun story. And that's like what, what my dad would say if he found himself in some crazy situation like that. I mean, you know, there was a time where I got kicked out of some guy's car because I refused to do something with him in his car. And I had to walk home like an hour and 40 minutes at like 2 a.m. I remember walking home and I would like call a friend and I'm like pissed tank drunk and I'd be like, you'll never guess what just happened to me. Super funny. Clouded perception though. If if you weren't drinking, you probably wouldn't have found it very funny. A hundred percent. Yeah. If I was sober, I wouldn't have been in that situation. If I was looking after my own mental health, I wouldn't have been in that situation. 
looking back at it, I'm part of me is completely embarrassed that I would find myself in those situations like often, like weekly. I find myself in dangerous situations and it's embarrassing to think of it, but I can't be embarrassed because I did it. And I need to know that, that at that time I was not well and I wasn't in my right mind to make the right, make the right decisions. I'd just like to add, like if, if there is anyone like who is struggling or is maybe thinking about going sober, if I could go back like 10 years (laughs) and like tell like myself as a prepubescent child that, Drugs aren't cool. <laughs> Alcohol's not cool. To be fair, at school at that age, they kind of hammered that into us or tried to. <laughs> but it didn't, it definitely didn't stick. Be like, drugs aren't cool. Don't do drugs. They rot your brain. But everyone else around us is doing it. And I was, if, they, if, if it could be me, if it could be me, if there was a way that I could change, I know people are like, your past is your past. It makes you who you are. But if, if I could, somehow tell myself even at 15 or 16 or 20 to just stop, I would. The thing is, though, at least when I was growing up, all the anti-drug talks that we got in school from anti-drug campaigns, those campaigns were always like, this is what drugs are. This is what drugs do. This is why drugs are bad. But they never told us why people do drugs and how to manage the feelings that can result in substance abuse. All they said is just say no. It's not that simple. Yeah, that's definitely like where it should have stemmed from. Stop going at like the the problem and rather where it starts. So there's, there's got to be a conversation had to talk to like kids, like you said, about reasons why people would start doing using substances in any way um, and how to work through those problems without those. Yeah, I don't I don't think they're educating very well on, on issues like that. Well, you've fought mightily through your issues and educated us on your journey today. So my sincerest thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you for this. I mean, I think it's really amazing what you're doing. It's important to hear other people's stories. In the intricate dance of life, we often turn to the bottle, seeking a sip of confidence to navigate social waters craving acceptance and popularity. Yet beneath the veneer, this quest often leaves us feeling more isolated than ever. A pursuit of connection that ironically accentuates our sense of loneliness. It's like this bizarre quest for connection ends up doing the opposite. But without the crutch of intoxication, interactions become more raw and sincere fostering a deeper understanding and empathy. It makes us and those around us more transparent, offering a chance to ditch the illusion, to find our real crowd, and create genuine connection. I'm Quick Nick. Thanks for listening. Addicts in the Dark is brought to you in part by Melissa Armstrong Coaching. Check out Melissa Armstrong at www.strongarm.ca. That's www.strongarm.ca.